Welcome to Caregiver Wellness Podcast. We're really glad that you joined us today. I believe this is going to be a very powerful conversation. It's something that is normally quite taboo. It's hard to talk about grief and the dying, but stay with us. This is so important. Today we welcome Genevieve McLean, and she talks about her recent loss of her husband and how she used the medical aid in dying and what decisions she's made in that process and how it's affected her grief process now. She is utterly delightful and so beautifully balanced in terms of feeling the grief, but also uniquely expressing it in a public way. I think you are going to be profoundly touched by this conversation. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to continuing to share these kinds of resources with you. So thank you all for joining us today. Um, I have uh, Genevieve, <laughs> and I've been awesome. my, my French, <laughs> uh, McLean, and she is a beautiful mother and also recent widow to her husband, who she was a caregiver for, um, who had Alzheimer's. And so I wanted to... I've been wanting to have a conversation with you for quite a while, actually, and you were you were quite eager and our schedules didn't quite align and I feel really thankful that you have taken some time to be with us today, so thank you. Oh, well, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for reaching out. Yeah, my pleasure. So this is an incredible topic we're going to dive into today and um, uh, one that I think will we'll, we'll hit a chord with with quite a few people, and and especially as as what we're going through right now, an incredible time um, uh, of being in the midst of a pandemic, but also those that are caring for loved ones with dementia and Alzheimer's are are grappling with everything magnified, everything ten times harder than it should be, or that it would that it was before March, um, and so. I have to say, following you on Facebook and your life post caregiver is not only inspiring, um, but it, but very freeing and and I think um, uh, to grieve so publicly and with a sense of to me what what I sense that you have is a sense of both joy and sadness and to be able to hold both of those is incredible to watch. And so I thank you for being so just both poignant, but also real <laughs> and really honest <laughs> about your experiences. Um, yeah. it's, it's not an easy, uh, it's not an easy path. No. I, won't, uh, I won't sugarcoat that. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think a lot of people don't know how to talk to you about death or, or any kind of very hard situation. 
Mm -hmm. And the one thing we can all guarantee ourselves is that we will all die. <laughs> but yet at the same time, it's the biggest taboo subject around. And um, I, I just feel that I'm not the only one going through this. There's no possible way. And I feel if I put it out there, then it makes others, people, other people reach out to me and sort of say, oh, that really hit a chord with me, or I can so relate to that, or thank you so much for clarifying that for me, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, one specific example is, you know, you always say to somebody, let me know if I can do anything. And it's like, that person has no idea what it is they need. If you reach out to them and say, can I come over for a cup of tea? Or can I bring you a lasagna? Or can we go for a walk? Or do you need a magazine? Whatever it is, be more specific and more concrete with what you have to offer. That person is going to say yes 99% of the time simply because they have no idea what it is they need and when they're going to need it. Yeah. And when I need it, it's too late, <laughs> quite honestly, right? Because most of the time, it's just someone I need to talk to, really. Well, I'd love, to, I'd love to back up just a little bit. And um, if you're willing, I would love to tell you, have you tell me a little bit about Duncan and your family. Ah, well, Duncan was the love of my life. We had been married almost 27 years and together almost 30. Um, we, we met in Montreal and uh, we traveled around quite a bit. We moved to Connecticut where both our children were born. And then we moved back to Calgary, not back, I should say. We moved to Calgary without knowing anybody, without a job. And we settled here and we've been here almost 20 years. And um, he was a wonderful man. He loved people. He was genuinely, genuinely interested in people. He just wanted to know about them, their family, what made them tick, what were their interests. Um, he loved to play games. He was a huge sports fanatic. And I don't mean watching sports. I mean participating in sports. Um, he, he, he was a good athlete, just good at everything. He loved to bike, to hike, to ski, to swim. I mean, you know, you name it, he did it. He played a lot of squash, hockey, you know, he did everything. It was, it was a chore keeping up actually. <laughs> but uh, he was a wonderful man. He was just a really happy, go lucky guy. And um, so, so when, when was he diagnosed? He was diagnosed in June, end of June of 2017. And when you, when you all found out, where did you go? What did you do? Was it just a period of like, oh my God? <laughs> well, he and I had gone through a period of, oh my God, for a year already, because he kind of knew, he self-diagnosed himself. He kind of knew what was going on. And by then, me too, um, we knew about a year before. But by the time you get to see the specialists and everyone and go through all the various tests that they make you go through, it took us a year and a bit. And that brought us to June of 2017. Uh, then we made a decision to sell our house. 
we sold our house just to make sure the finances were going to be all in order. We knew he was not going to be able to keep working. So I convinced him to quit working at the end of September that year, 2017. And he and I, we took off for two months to Europe and we went to the south of France and Italy. And it was the most amazing trip ever. We had a blast. Um, but there was a lot of things that we did. You know, we had to put our wills in order. We had to have um, uh, conversations about personal directives. You know, what do you want at the end of your life should you get to that point? Um, and those are incredibly difficult, hard conversations when you're in your mid, early to mid 50s. You know, these are not conversations you're thinking you're going to have with your spouse. On the opposite, you think you're going to have conversations of, okay, the kids are out of the house now. Where do we want to go? Where do we want to travel? What do we want to see? What do we want to do? Rather than, okay, what do you want in depth? Who is most important to you? And how much time do you want to spend with these people? Um, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What is most important to you right now that you need to fill your life with? And um, yeah, those kinds of conversations are incredibly hard. And with him, we had even harder conversations because he had said right from the beginning that he did not want to go in a home and he did not want to stay at home. His choice was to end his life um, through medical assistance, all legal and everything like that in Canada anyway. And, um, you know, those were really hard, tough conversations. Like, I, you know, still the weight of them just blows me away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, medical aid and dying made is only legal in a handful of states in the United States. Um, and, uh, you know, depending on where you fall in this discussion, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you in terms of um, it's important to me as I've reflected on my own loss in my, in my life with my stepmom and um, that the the person should be able to choose. The person should be able to have their wishes fulfilled. And the horrific thing about this disease is, is those that are left in terms of, you know, how they care and, 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 and they're, they're gone mentally. And so, yeah. yeah. And that was a big thing for him. You know, we talked a lot about, do you want to be in a home? what kind of end of care, life care do you want? Right. Because, you know, it's not for everybody. And you may even think that you want death if you're in a certain situation. But once you're actually in that situation, maybe you kind of go, oh, actually, I'm not sure that that's really what I want until you're really faced with it. It's not necessarily for sure that's the path you're gonna go down. Mm -hmm. It ended up being the path he wanted and um, I supported it and so did the kids. But, you know, even that path, that's not an easy path to take. No. It's not an easy path to take. But there are a lot of other options out there. 
but you have to understand what they really mean and what they really entail and what it's going to take. Because how many years is that person going to be staying in those institutions and whatever? Because eventually you're just not going to be able to care for them at home. Most of the time, anyway, I don't think. Mm. It, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of exhausting work. And he wasn't even, you know, very far into the disease. And it's, it's, it's tiring. It's, it's draining. It takes a lot out of you. How did you, how did you decide on timing? You know, that is not an easy one at all. There is no right time. The right time is when he felt it would be right. And in Canada, you have to be still, they're debating it out in the, in the government right now, but you still have to be mentally aware, mentally cognizant. And so when you have dementia, <laughs> that is a very fine line. Um, and I think Duncan was very, very, very aware of what was going on and his decision and all of that. And I think we would all agree that he might have gone a little early, but maybe, but who knows what would have come down. Like the disease evolves sometimes incredibly slowly or incredibly quickly. Mm -hmm. And he was already having a hard time reading and writing. You know, he would come into the kitchen and didn't know what he was doing there. And you kind of had to help him through. So, he, you know, he was getting there. So where is that right time? So he kind of decided, and he felt he wasn't living. He really felt he wasn't living. And the conversation we had so many times was, what is living? Is living breathing? Or is living actually participating in life on your own terms. And for him, it was participating in life on his own terms. And that had gone away for at least two or three years now for him. So he really felt that the timing was now. Yeah. And he wanted to go back to, he's from Toronto originally, and he wanted to go back to see his mother and to the family cottage, you know, the family cottage on the lake, that's a big thing in Ontario. And so he wanted to go and spend some time there and he did that with his brothers and sisters and his mother. And so they had that family unit time together. He got to see a lot of his high school friends and they had a, a dinner and outside social distancing and all that stuff. And so he got to see them and he got to do a lot of really nice things. And, he was very much at peace on the day. It was amazing, actually. I was stunned because I was not. <laughs> I was not at peace. It was not an easy day. But you have to do what you have to do. Yeah. I think your your circumstances are incredibly brave, and just you chatting with us today publicly is also incredibly brave. And I, I, I mentioned in the very beginning of our conversation about you grieving publicly. How has that ebbed and flowed for you? Is it, because, uh, you know, I think, I think there's a misperception out there 
um, about the stages of grief <laughs> uh, as they were originally coined. Um, and, and they're not, in, in my opinion, uh, in any order. And yeah. No, they really are not in any order at all, I don't think. And I think some of them sort of say, well, I'm coming today and then I'll come again tomorrow. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, but um, I didn't know how else to read. I tried journaling and I wasn't getting anything back. It was maybe releasing it, but I wasn't getting anything back. So for me, I'm one of those, I'm a people person and, and I just need to reach out to people and I need people to reach back to me. And it really drives um, me, it makes me, it just gives me so much energy. And um, by putting it on Facebook, I was really scared to do that because Facebook is not necessarily always the best platform for a lot of things. But um, I put it out there one time. I just thought, okay, just try it and see. And if it's really bad, you know, never to do it again. And it was anything but really bad. It was amazing. And the feedback I got, not only was it helping me, but it was helping others. And that for me was the biggest thing I could have gotten out of it was that you know, it's telling other people that you're not alone, that grief and death is not something we need to just shove aside and pretend it didn't happen and we're going to be strong and, you know, we'll muddle through this anyway. No, you know, there are a bazillion emotions that come every single minute of every single day. And you're just kind of like on this wild roller coaster ride. And, you know, nausea aside, you're on that ride and you are going to stay on that ride regardless. Mm. And so I found that by reaching out occasionally, it really, it kind of grounded me, which I thought was really interesting. Because first off, it put out there, I wasn't carrying all that emotion anymore. And it spoke to other people. And it kind of helped them too. So I thought that was a win-win. It, it definitely is. It's just, um, it's been extraordinary to, to witness. You know, I think if, if I were listening as a caregiver and curious about this process, what, what kind of advice would you give them, even just starting to think about it or explore? I mean, you mentioned a few things to consider in terms of the, you know, what their, what their person with dementia or their loved one is going through, like, what do they want to see? What do they want to do? What, like, what, what are your, <laughs> what are your dreams? But what else should they consider or what advice do you have? Well, there's a few things I think. They really need to have the heart-to-heart -heart talk between the important people within the family. You know, like for us, once we knew our kids were the most important people we needed to talk to, and we really, granted Duncan and I made the bigger decisions on our own, and then we talked to the kids about them. But if, if, if the, the caregiver, the primary caregiver, the person with the dementia, 
are not on the same page, you have a problem. So between those two, maybe three people, whoever they are, you have to have the oh so dreadful talks. You just have to have all of them, all of them. Because should that person lose capacity, you have to have an understanding of what it is they wanted to try and provide as much as possible what it is they want. And I think for a caregiver, one of the most important things, sure, family, friends, whatever, are very important to talk to, to connect with, to do things with. But like we were very lucky through the neurologist, we had uh, a social worker that we could talk to that dealt with people with dementia. So not only was she able to help Duncan, but she was there for me. She was there for my kids, either as a unit or separate. And I bucked that for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I talked to my kids a lot. And eventually they kind of said, you know, Mama, we, can't, we don't know. We, this is beyond us. And I felt so horrible for them, quite honestly. And I said, you need to talk to someone who can help you. And that's when I started reaching out to her. And it made such a difference, mm -hmm. such a difference. She understood everything. And she could make me feel not guilty about all the emotions and feelings that I had that included the thought that maybe I didn't love this person anymore, even though I was madly in love with this person. Because he wasn't the same person. Yeah. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And it's normal <laughs> to boot. <laughs> I really appreciate that you just said that. Because <laughs> I think I think so many times, you know, no matter what the illness is, I mean, we're specifically talking about dementia here, but I I, I think irregardless when our, whether it, we're going through a particular illness or the person we care for is, if it is within our possibility and realms to, to get, just as you said, professional help, it can really be life altering because I think so many times we, we go to, and I see this over and over again, where we go, go to friends and we lean on them so heavily and they have no idea what to say or do, or even family members. And, and, and truly they're wonderful resources. I think everyone needs to have their list of five, you know, like these are the people I could go to for this, this, and this, and this, and this, but, but they're not professional care. And that is such a really important point. And so I appreciate you saying that. They're not professional care and they have stuff going on in their own lives. Yeah. You know, so they're leaning on you just as much as you're leaning on them. But really, you need you need at least an hour every few weeks of undivided attention whereby you can talk about what is going on with you. And maybe even the other person you're taking care of about what is really going on with you. Yeah, I totally agree. And if there's someone out there listening and and 
you're thinking that their, their funds can't find those kinds of resources, I would encourage you to please reach out because I have a huge list and we have a list on our website as well. Uh, many, many professional resources that you can, you can find help and people who offer sliding scale and people who offer their services for free and um, as well as paid services. And, and, and there's a variety out there that I think people are just not aware of or where to go to ask for help. And so I think that's really important. What was one of the best resources you, you used in Calgary? Well, like I said, it was this um, social worker who was attached to this neurologist and she, she was a lifesaver. She really was a lifesaver. Um, I also have a really good friend who you know. Um, am I allowed to mention? Yes, absolutely. I, 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 was, I was just Poole. thinking. <laughs> yeah, about Lisa. Yeah. Lisa Poole, and she is one of those dynamos on wheels. She, her father has dementia, and uh, she, um, she. Uh, sorry, something just popped up on my screen. Um, she is one of those people who was like, I know nothing about dementia, I'm getting involved, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And by the time we were going down that road, she was well entrenched and meeting people all across our country um, and beyond. And she was just one of those amazing yeah, she's just amazing. We'll put, a, we'll put a link in there. Lisa has a, uh, a magazine that she produces um, or, and publishes called Dementia Connections. And uh, if you're in the Calgary or Alberta area, it's an incredible resource. If you're not, they also have it online uh, with a lot of Canadian resources, which are oh, yeah. so... At the back, there's like pages and pages of resources within each province. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it is amazing. I'd love to circle back around. Um, you know, you mentioned having the difficult conversations, but also um, kind of flowing out of that are just these emotions. <laughs> I really appreciated that you said the emotions are normal, like <laughs> your reactions are normal. And I think um, you hit on one specifically that I think many caregivers deal and grapple with which is guilt oh, how can you not feel guilty because you're not equipped to deal with these situations with these live wire situations you know my husband looked the same mostly he sounded the same but he wasn't the same so every time i expected the same but it wasn't the same he was a different person and it just threw me for a loop every time. And I don't know, I, I had to really rein myself in. I learned patience, which I'm not very strong on. <laughs> but it, it, it is uh, a 24 seven, never ending, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And guessing game, really, quite honestly because you never know. And it's like dealing with a mature one-year-old. Mm -hmm. And you just don't know who you're gonna get. Are you getting Jekyll or are you getting caught? And from one second to the next, that can happen. 
and you just don't know. You don't know. And so it's a continuous readjusting. And it's, it's, well, everyone should have fun in life. I would love to end our conversation with, with circling back to something that you said was, that was also really beautiful. You said you asked him, how is it that you would really want to live? Or, or how did you phrase it? Um, what is important to you? No. Or how do you want to participate in life? How do you want to participate in life? Yeah. Yeah, I think that is an absolutely beautiful question that we should be having with ourselves <laughs> and, and way before medical issues happen in our families. You hit the nail on the head there. And that is just not something that occurred to me at all before. Like, it's just, you know, you go through life easy peasy and you get Know, you mind your own business, you try to raise your kids properly, you try to be a good couple, you know, a volunteer within the community, do, do things, you know, exciting things, but, you know, just minding your own business. And then all of a sudden, your knees are taken out from under you, and it throws you for a loop. So to have some of these conversations, maybe a little bit before when it's not so dire um, probably is a good thing. And I think whatever it is you're going through, um, I think to have conversations generally about what it is. You know, dementia is not something that you catch. <laughs> it's not something that, you know, is taboo. And to have a conversation around the fact that you know, it happens. There's a lot of people in the United States and there's a lot of people in Canada that end up having dementia. And it's not just an older person's disease. And it doesn't need to be, uh, um, I don't know, looked upon as cool. Because it's not nice and it's cool. I'm not gonna pussyfoot around that. But at the same time, there are still good moments. There are still moments that you can have fun and cherish and it'll provide good memories. So. Well, listening to you talk about how you really chose to cherish and capture memories in his last days are, are truly astounding and beautiful. And my hope is that it will it will give some hope and comfort to a lot of people listening. And also, um, I love how, you know, in this world, we are all different and we all choose our, our paths. And I think what's beautiful in hearing your story is that it's your story and, and your lived experience. And, and then on the flip side of that, you have chosen very public grieving, which has enabled us to kind of virtually <laughs> surround you with a sense of love as well. And I am so edified by that. So thank you for continuing to do that. And um, the bravery is amazing. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for reaching out. It meant a lot to me. Yeah. You know, if anybody needs uh, 
any questions or have any, or they have any questions or whatever, I'm happy to help in any way I can possibly. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And in fact, so if you are are listening, we're we're not checking the chat at the moment, but if you are watching on Facebook Live and you do have a question, feel free to type it in the chat and we'll check back periodically. If you are listening in the podcast, um, you can reach out to us at Caregiver Wellness Retreat and we're happy to connect to you um, so that you can um, get a few more resources as well. So I just can't tell you enough how grateful I am for um, really just your openness and your honesty <laughs> and your generosity. Um, it's beautiful. And this is an incredibly difficult path that you walked. Um, just as you said, you wouldn't wish it on, on anyone. Um, and I think it's also um, such an eye-opener for us to really take stock in the moment. Um, you know, how, how do we want to live today? Yes. How do we want to show up? Yeah. yeah so. Well, and I want to say thank you to you, Melissa, for everything that you do for the people who are, you know, going down this path. Yeah. So thank you. Well, I, I, I hope that we can um, keep offering these kinds of resources while our goal as an organization isn't necessarily dementia education. It is really about the care of the caregiver and, and helping better understand what the caregiver's needs are. And this is absolutely one of those needs, um, grappling with these difficult um, emotions and choices and decisions. And uh, I wish everyone who is able to listen today that you perhaps take a moment after listening to, to sit down and take a deep breath, maybe even write one sentence about what you would hope for your future or what you would hope for your loved one's future because actually making a plan and just sitting with it for a little bit is one more step in that direction and takes the fear out. Yeah, yeah, so. Thank you again. I'm so grateful for you. <laughs> I appreciate you. All right. All right. Take care, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for this podcast and this special episode with Genevieve. I am still really moved and incredibly blown away by our conversation. And I have a feeling you might be too. Feel free to drop us a line and an email um, about what you learned, or if you have any questions for her, I'm happy to pass that along. Our email address is caregiversretreatinfo at gmail.com. It'll also be in the show notes for you as well. And if you enjoyed this episode and any of the others, we highly recommend that you go back. Uh, there's a wonderful conversation with Ruth Dennis. There's um, uh, a beautiful Qigong uh, practice and conversation. There's so many right now that we're building as a resource for you in terms of wellness. And we're really grateful that you're a part of this community. If you enjoy it, I hope that you will please share. So take a moment to send this to perhaps your support group or anyone else that you feel might benefit from this. And if you are so led to offer a donation, 
you can click on the link there to buy us a cup of coffee or go to our website at caregiverwellnessretreat.com and you can sign up for one of our free retreats. We have two. One is an on-demand one and the second is a retreat that is instant access that was recorded here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And we have one coming up in Houston, Texas that won't be in person. It will be live, however, and we're looking forward to premiering that on January 29th of 2021. And thank you again for making time to join us today. We're really glad you're here.